Early on in the book of Genesis, God makes a promise to Abraham that the nations would be blessed through him, uniquely and specifically his seed, which we know to be Isaac, which requires God to come in and protect Abraham in spite of his sin at a point in time that we're looking at next on Way of Grace. Ministry of Grace Bible Church in Hayward, this is Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stan, who will return us today to the book of Genesis, chapters 20 and 21. It's a story that has eternal ramifications, even though it looks like a selfish move by Abraham to save his own hide and possibly protect his wife, there's a child at stake, and even greater still, a promise that God has made that would come through that child. The purity of this child needs to be maintained. And that's where we find ourselves today. Join us. Here's Pastor Jessica Stand with today's broadcast of Way of Grace. Let's go to work. Immediately Abimelech is startled, for which is given to us the fundamental query of point number one. Pull it up so they can see it if they're not looking at their notes. He responds in retort in verse four, but Abimelech said, but Abimelech had not come near unto her. And he said, Lord, will you slay also a righteous nation? Do you see it? Apparently he understood that his death meant the death of his wife and his family and everybody. Apparently he understood the implications of being dead. And then he says to God, will you do that to a righteous nation? Now, where is that coming from? Some theologians would argue and assert that what Abimelech is fundamentally saying is that he's a righteous man. I would say, no, he's not saying that. I mean, he could assert that people do. Every man proclaims their own goodness. Is that right? What Abimelech is not asserting is that somehow he's not reprovable or condemnable or that he's not a sinner. I would not even begin to entertain that. We all know that we're sinners when the curtains are pulled back. What Abimelech is saying is this. We heard about what you did to Sodom and Gomorrah, and I showed you guys the map last week you could still see the smoke. Now, everybody knew that Sodom and Gomorrah were sinners exceedingly before the Lord. The judgment that had come down upon them was just. And all the countries round about could see that. Because while we are sinners, Sodom and Gomorrah had moved away from the natural order of things in such a manner that God highlights and warns about clearly in the New Testament. And he reproved his own people, Israel, that when you come into the land, don't be like them. It's for this reason I'm wiping them out. A very relevant narrative today. Am I making some sense? A very relevant narrative today about the Imago Dei, the image of God in man. That when you deny the true and the living God and you cut him off, he'll cut you off. And as he cuts you off, he'll let you have your own way. And what Abimelech was simply saying was, Lord, we're not that bad, are we? Well, yeah, by nature you are. So Abimelech now has only one thing to do in his echoing, echoing what, what Abraham was concerned about, as we have already noted. He, he's echoing, echoing that, hey, Lord, I don't see the righteousness in what you're doing. I don't see why you're going to destroy me. And then he pleads. He says, I didn't come near her yet. Besides, it's not like I have taken another man's wife. This is a single sister. She even told me herself. 
The Lord says, if you don't leave that girl alone, you dead. That's my translation. Because it meant, it's meant for you to get that God has done something in his purpose with Sarah. And Sarah would never be touched by anybody but Abraham. Y'all got that? Doesn't matter how innocent you are, naive you are, you dead. Now, now ladies, when you got a God like that on your side, aren't you in good shape? Aren't you in good shape? When you got a God on your side that can protect you like that, even in your foolishness, you in good shape. Aren't you in good shape? See, I didn't already told you last week. I think Sarah was in on this. I think Sarah pretty much knew that the Lord had already told her as she had told Abraham, I am your shield and exceeding great reward. She knew she wasn't going to be touched by nobody but Abraham, but they had to play out a process that I think gives us a little explanation as to what's going on. Sub point B, his restraint of Abraham is evidence, isn't it? Of, uh, of Abimelech, it's evident. When Abimelech says, I didn't touch you, I didn't do anything to her, what does God say? I know, because I kept you back. I'm the one kept you back. Here's another theological truth that comes out of that. Apart from the grace of God keeping you, you and I would fall into sin every day. Apart from God's mercy restraining our evil inventions and our evil, don't we have crazy thoughts? I only want one person in the house, tell the truth. Crazy. Now watch this. And don't we have thoughts that are contrary to God's ways? And is it not true that the word of God says even the thought of folly is sin? Is that what God's word says? So if I have a thought of folly, God has a right to wipe me out. But you know what? God's not going to wipe me out for a thought of folly. He's going to keep me from an act of folly. Because that's how God works in our life. Every day that you and I live, and get past our 24-hour cycle without some major, major tragic uh, scandal of sinful disobedience. It's the mercy of God. He's kept us. He's kept us. You remember our brother Hezekiah. God took his hand off him for a moment, lost the whole kingdom. God has to keep you and me like he kept Abimelech. This is why David knew something about this. Did David know something about this? Lord, Keep your servant back from presumptuous sin and the great transgression. Psalm 19, 13. He said, you got to keep me. You got to keep me. So God kept Abimelech, but he kept Abimelech not because Abimelech was righteous, but because God had a purpose with his son and daughter. Am I making some sense? And God will allow your foes to come up on you, but he will never allow your foes to overwhelm you. He will never allow your foes to destroy you. He will only use them to expose your weakness and to show his power. And that's, what's God, that, what, that's what God is doing in our narrative. So under point number one, will you destroy a righteous nation? The answer is no. He restrains Abimelech and the evidence is very clear. This is true in the book of Job too. I'm not going there. Point number two. I want to show you something now that I was thinking about last week. And that is as we deal with how Abraham interacted with the pagan kings. Look at verse 14 and 15. How Abraham interacted. It says in chapter uh, 20, verse 14, and Abimelech took sheep and oxen and men servants and oxen and, and uh, 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 women servants and gave them to who? Abraham and restored him, Sarah, his wife. Now, did not mark la- last week that when Abraham engaged in this faux pas some 24 years earlier in Genesis 12 with uh, Pharaoh, that Pharaoh actually gave Abraham a ton of riches 
even before he took Sarah. Do you guys remember that? Abraham received an expansion of the wealth by the Pharaoh ruler for Sarah. Here now, Abimelech is giving an expansion of wealth to Abraham after he gives Sarah back. What is that about? Now, now work with me for a moment. Let me see. Pull up the point, will you, so I can look at these three points and establish that. You have to be careful that when you're working through a narrative of Scripture and you see patterns, and patterns that just don't make sense, like, it really doesn't make sense that Abraham would have just thrown Sarah under the bus, like he did in Genesis 12, um, uh, just because he was afraid. It doesn't make sense to me. It might make sense to you that he would throw her under the bus just because he was afraid. And then here's the other thing that don't make sense to me. And I know this is true on a horizontal level because I ain't never met a sister who would be told by her husband, hey, honey, now, you know, seven generations back, we really cousins. Uh, and, and, and because of the danger we're in in this atmosphere, uh, would you, would, if, if, if any predicament came up, would you just kind of say we cousins, right? If I ever tried that with Barb, <laughs> you wouldn't see me in the pulpit. So now why would we think that Sarah is so stupid to simply buy into a harebrained idea like that without some very clear cultural premises that underlie a decision like that. Why would Sarah endanger her reputation? Why would Sarah endanger her life? Why would Sarah go out on a limb for Abraham as much as she loved him if it didn't have some kind of remunerating benefits? Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And then why do it twice? Right? Why do it twice? I mean, it's one thing at 679, uh, 65. Remember, we said Sarah was cute, right? It's one thing for her to do it at 65 when she's cute, kind of a, uh, you know, a little flattery going on there. Honey, you, you beautiful. And these brothers beat and killed me and took you. She's looking at his fears and looking at his anxieties and saying, OK, I'll do it for you. No, there's more here going on. According to our third uh, powers of play here, there are a couple of points I want to establish with you. I think that what we're dealing with here is Abraham understanding that very much so that the heathen that he's around might have the audacity if they wanted to take Sarah would end up killing him in order to have Sarah because Sarah was beautiful. But it wasn't so much that Sarah was beautiful in the sense that they just wanted conjugal relationships. But you got to remember, when Abraham and Sarah came into town, they didn't come into town as a man and a woman with a suitcase and a bottle of water. They didn't come in inconspicuous. They didn't come in as a couple of broke people for whom none of the surrounding kings have to worry about. They came in with an entourage. They came in with wealth. They came in with power. They came in with resources. They came in with the kind of collateral and uh, embassage that would require every king in that area to do, be ready to do two things. Are you ready? To be ready to go to war against them or to make peace with them. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? To be ready to go to war with them because Abraham is infiltrating a country already well established by other kings. Most Uh, tenably, the Philistines. The Philistines are a big, massive, they are the ultimate, as I told you last week, formidable enemy that David, Abraham's son, will have to overcome. Remember Goliath? 
and his five brothers, he'll have to overcome them. And so Abraham now is bumping up against one of the more formidable kings of Canaan. And what they had in those days, and you'll get this here in a moment, were what were called affinity trinity uh, treaties, affinity covenants, where a king would send an embassage to you in order to find out what you're up to. And if he could, he would make a covenant of peace with you. Now, do you know what that would look like? That would look like you and him swapping sheep, swapping cattle, swapping resources, swapping slaves, and swapping women. This is how Solomon, who does it 10.0, ends up with 700 wives and 300 concubines. Are you guys hearing me? 700 wives and 300 concubines. This ain't because Solomon has such huge testosterone drives. We didn't already done the math. I didn't already done the math. You can't do nothing with 700 wives and 300 concubines in two lifetimes. Can I help you? Let's just settle that right now. Ain't nothing happening like that. Do the numbers, okay? You wiped out in six months. And you haven't even gotten through 20 women yet. All right, so, so this ain't about Solomon being so hyper uber man, if you will. I got a thousand girls. I ain't what it's about. It's about leveraging power among kings. Are you hearing me? It's about leveraging powers among kings. And as much as you might still say, Abraham is still tripping, I mean, because Sarah's his wife. But what this is all about is the preservation of the family. This is about the preservation of the resources. This is about the preservation in their eyes of God's purpose in their life. When Abraham pulls it off the first time, it's because Pharaoh did take Sarah. He did take her as Abraham had inferred. And then he came to Abraham and said, can we talk? And Abraham said, she's my sister. And he said, okay, good. Let me give you all of this wealth for her. Let's establish what is called an affinity treaty where we can be at peace with one another because we're marrying into each other. Y'all got that? And Abraham does it. And before Pharaoh could even begin to get excited (laughs) about Sarah, The Lord has already smitten the whole nation with plagues. Sarah's bad. I don't know what you're talking about. Sarah's a bad girl. She got some power behind her. And you be running up on Sarah. Next thing you know, you got boils all over your body. You mess with her. Sarah cold. Oh, yeah, she beautiful, but she cold. You better keep your distance. Pharaoh looked up. Plagues everywhere. He jumps on Abraham just like Gerar, uh, Philistine wants to do. Man, what you doing trying to get here, man, get, take your wife. Here, you can have all of the goods. I don't even want them back. This is what he says. I want you to get this. You go and dwell whatever you, wherever you want to dwell. The land is wide open, Abraham. Are you ready? You the boss. See, I told you last week what, what, what Abraham and Sarah really is, is Bonnie and Clyde. Didn't I tell you that? This is Bonnie and Clyde running up into the land of Canaan, getting ready to take over. They're getting ready to run this show. And, and the kings are now contending with a power that exists in the life of Sarah and Abraham that they have never met before. Are y'all hearing me? And we would call it the power of the gospel, the power of God among his people to even though his people will act in ways that are not ultimately righteous, God will still get glory through their life. Does that make sense? Didn't I tell you last week, your faith is going to always be mixed with, with carnality. It's going to always be mixed with wood, hair, and stubble. Is that right? 
None of us have a pure faith system in our life. It's going to always be mixed with a little clay and cement. Is that true? And God will work with the clay and the cement to show up in the behalf of his faithfulness and integrity for you. And then let everybody around you know, touch not my anointed, neither do my prophets no harm. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? God showed up in Egypt as an embryonic foreshadow of what he would do 430 years later when the children of Israel are being harassed by Egypt, right? God is now showing up in Gerar of the Philistines to do the same thing. These are called affinity covenants where uh, we can either have a peace treaty where we go about our way. This even occurred within the ranks of Jacob and Laban. Remember when Jacob worked for Laban and God was producing all over the place for Laban and Jacob and, and strife occurred. Laban and Jacob had to enter into covenant so they could be at peace with one another. And all I'm saying is that what you got going on here is on a very horizontal level, Abraham is working out in his own mind, how do I coexist in a Babylonian system as children of Zion in a way that can be in the best interest of my whole family? Y'all got that? I, I may not have sold you on that, but I really want you to think this through. Abraham was protecting Sarah. He was protecting the wealth as best he could, and he was protecting God's promise. He didn't know how it was going to work out. But remember now, God had already told Abraham back in chapter 15, after he messed up the first time in Genesis 12, and after Abraham went down and saved Lot in Genesis 14, he told Abraham in Genesis 15 these words. See, this is how God knows you and knows me. That's why I love him. I love me some God because he knows me better than I know myself. And he ain't never surprised by my foolishness. And he's always out in front of me with a plan better than my plan. That's what I love about God. I love that God already knows how to take my foolishness and filter it through his purpose. God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, hey, wake up, Abraham, Genesis 15. Wake up, let me let you know, brother, you are in a strange land. You are in a land with people that are hostile. You are in a land with people who don't like you. You just wiped out some major kings. I got that. See, saints, you can act like walking by faith is easy if you want to, but you're lying. You're lying if you think walking by faith is easy. You're lying if you think being a believer in the midst of a secular culture is not a challenge for you. You're lying if you don't think every day you're inclined to compromise the gospel because it's very hard to see the big picture as to how to go here and how to go there and how to maintain your priorities with God. You're lying. So don't be jumping on Abraham too bad. And if you want to tilt over to Sister Sarah, see, I was thinking about this. I know I'm getting in trouble when I think, but I, I was thinking about this. We wouldn't have had no problems if Sarah wasn't so hot. If she wasn't spanking the way she was spanking. I mean, the sister was just bad. I, I'm just saying, see, Sarah, you should have put on some raggedy jeans. Just left your hair nappy. Don't press it. No makeup, no, 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 no perfume. You know how y'all do, sisters. Y'all know how y'all do. Sarah was just spanking, spanking, spanking. Abraham knew it. And he knew that that was a high commodity in the world, beautiful women. But, but I would have to move from Sarah and do the same thing with Rebecca. Because Rebecca was spanking too. 
Ozzy turned around and did the same thing. Hey, sis. Y'all remember that? Genesis 26. This is 40 years after our count. Sarah's dead. 40 years later, uh, 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 Isaac is married at 40, and they run up the garage again, down Philistine country. Abimelech. Not the same Abimelech. The word Abimelech is an official title. But this Abimelech looks at Sarah. Not Sarah, but Rebecca. And everybody then told Abimelech that Rebecca uh, is, is Isaac's sister. And he does something smart because he, he heard the story about his great, 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 great uncle 40 years ago who messed up trying to take Sarah. He said, I'm going to just hold on for a minute. I'm going to hold on for a minute. And then he went to the window. Y'all remember that? Y'all don't remember. Y'all don't read your Bible. Genesis 26. He pulled the curtains back and he was looking out and, 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 and Rebecca and, and, and Isaac was kind of playing around. And he was going... Sisters and brothers don't play around like that. Y'all, y'all remember that? No, sisters and brothers play a different way. Ah, something going on here. The word in the Hebrew is, is what it's called a euphemism. It's called sporty. They was getting it on. And Abimelech knew that that ain't his sister. And I know Abimelech said, Lord, thank you. Thank you for watching over me because I don't want to be jacked up just like, because he was going to go get her. But see, if I do that with, with Sarah and I do that with Rebecca, because them was some, just some hot sisters, I'm going to just tell I got to do it with Rachel. Because Rachel was killing too. Was Rachel killing? Jacob served 14 years for Rachel. You got to be killing for a brother to go 14 years for a sister like that. Great picture of the Lord Jesus who loves his church so much that he served for us in eternity under the wrath of God. But see, if I, if I leave Rachel alone, then I got to re- think about Esther. Esther was killing. Wasn't that girl hot? The whole kingdom. Xerxes said, there she is. What's your name, girl? She said, Hadassah. See the secret again. Because Hadassah hid her Jewishness. Because that's the way the Jews had to work it in that time when the Persians were ruling. Don't you tell me that God doesn't accommodate the weakness of our faith when we're trying to negotiate how to live in this world. God does. And God allowed Hadassah to become the queen of the world under Xerxes at that time. Didn't he? Protected that girl. Protected the whole nation. Y'all hear what I'm getting at? Here's what I'm kind of getting at. I want to make this point and then I'll move on to why God moved in the way he did. See, I'm not really talking about physical beauty here. Now, the daughters of Zion are beautiful women. Y'all been beautiful women ever since God saved you. You guys are beautiful. Own your beauty as daughters of Zion. Just say, I am, say it with me, I am a beautiful daughter of Zion. I am wonderfully and gloriously made, and I am attractive because of the beauty that God gave me. Can you own that? You are beautiful with the beauty that God gave you. Studying God's Word that we might show ourselves approved, that we might come to a deeper love and understanding of God's amazing love for us in Jesus Christ. This has been Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stand from Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. 
We are always delighted and grateful that you take a few moments to spend with us, that we might, again, study to show ourselves approved. And as we leave you today, we would also leave you with an invitation to join us for worship in person. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Pastor Jessica Stand and Grace Bible Church of Hayward, please consider this a formal invitation to spend Sundays with us. 11 a.m. is the worship service, 10 a.m. if you would like to join us for Sunday school. And don't forget, Friday evenings at 8 p.m., we have enjoyed a marvelous time of studying God's Word with brothers and sisters in Christ from a variety of churches all over the Bay Area. That's at 8 p.m. Friday evenings. For directions and more information, simply stop by our website, grace-bible.com. That's grace-bible.com. Or give us a call, 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. If you're looking for a copy of today's program, you can either contact us by phone or mail. Send $5 and we'll get a CD out to you. Or stop by grace-bible.com and download the audio file for free. The address, if you're writing to us, is 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California. 94541 is our zip code. And one final note as we conclude our time together today. We're able to come to you daily here on KFAX because of friendships and partnerships with people such as you who see the value of this ministry. Now, while it is free to listen to, for us, there is a cost, and we are a listener-supported ministry. No matter the size of your gift, it's greatly appreciated. So would you take a moment and pray about it and then contact us with your gift today? 510-886-9782 is our phone number, or write to us, 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California, 94541. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Until next time, God bless.